Hi there. Welcome to the Authors and Audiences podcast. I'm Caroline Leach. I'm a Scottish Texan and a young adult novelist, and I also coach authors and illustrators to present themselves and their books in public with confidence and professionalism, so that they can not only connect with readers and sell more books, but so they can impress their publishers and sell more books. Most of all, I want every author and illustrator to feel so well prepared to talk about themselves and their books that they can go into any public setting, whether online or in person, feeling excitement, not fear. On Authors and Audiences, my amazing guests and I will share with you our top presentation tips and key promotion strategies to help you feel really powerful, whether you're talking to one person or to a thousand. And we'll also talk about how you can find or create those speaking opportunities too. So wherever you are on your publishing path and whatever sort of books you create, Authors and Audiences is for you. Thank you so much for joining me today for episode 25 of Authors and Audiences, the third in the three-part series on author school visits. And I must apologise for the very long gap between this one and the last one with Scott Retkin. I'm afraid life rather got the better of me over the last month and getting this episode out to you was one of the things that had to get put on hold. So if you've been listening to the episodes in real time, I'm sorry you've had to wait for this one. But if you're listening to this weeks or months later, then you won't know the difference, I'm sure. Though you might be reassured that everyone gets overwhelmed at times and sometimes you have to just give in to it. Anyway, I'm excited to share this extended episode with you because it's with two amazing women. And if you don't know them already, you really should try harder. They're Joy Preble and Melissa Buron, who I first got to know through the SCBWI Houston chapter and who are now my go-to friends for so much wisdom, particularly when it comes to talking about school visits by authors. Now, let me explain why. Joy Preble is the author of what she calls a medium-long list of young adult novels like the Dreaming Anastasia series, the Sweet Dead Life series, Finding Paris, and It Wasn't Always Like This. And she's done more author visits than you can imagine. But she is also the children's programming director at our favourite indie bookstore, Brazos Bookstore, and was kind enough to host both of my book launches at the store and indulge all my book launch planning excitement. And there's breaking news from Joy too. Just last week, when we'd already recorded this discussion, Joy announced that her first picture book will be published in 2025 by Chronicle Books. It's called Lost and Found Hanukkah, and she wrote it in the depths of the pandemic. So, hugest congratulations go to Joy. And we're also joined by Melissa Buron, who is one of Houston Independent School District's library media specialists. To put the scale of her job into context, Houston ISD is currently the eighth largest school district out of almost 14,000 school districts in the USA. So she has a very, very big job on her hands. But even so, she's also an author and an illustrator, and in 2016 created her own publishing company, Mab Media, a boutique publishing company specialising in fantasy, fairy tales and folk tales. Originally a teacher and a school librarian, 
Melissa worked in Lagos, Nigeria, and then in Paris, where she also ran the SEBWI France chapter for more than three years, and then in several schools in Houston and beyond. So if you wanted to talk to two people about how school visits work, you'd be hard-pressed to find better. So please settle in and enjoy our discussion. And don't forget to listen in the middle when I'll be telling you about the really useful school visit guide I've put together with last time's guest, author Scott Rankin, which you can download absolutely free. So here we go with part three of the Authors and Audiences Author School Visit series. I feel very lucky today to be able to invite both a bookseller and a school library specialist onto the podcast to talk about school visits. But even more than that, I know Melissa and Joy will tell us today will be even more useful because they both have such enormous amount of experience as writers, as well as in publishing and bookselling and education. So I would love you, each of you to tell us a little bit about your life in books, when you started writing and how you each got to where you are now. So who would like to start? How about you, Joy? Um, okay. Well, you know, briefly, I... Um... I've been writing my whole life. I mean, I wrote a play when I was in second grade. It was an awful Thanksgiving play. And uh, and I've been writing ever since then. But I've been writing professionally, um, you know, since since the early 2000s. And, um, and my first book um, that then became the series Dreaming Anastasia, uh, that came out in 2009. And so... Uh, seven books followed. I've got a picture book coming out that actually technically hasn't been announced yet, but it should be announced soon. And um, and and that's how I got into writing. Um, so what about book that's selling? my quick answer. And book selling. book selling, at which point did Brothers Bookstore come into the mix? Book selling uh, started in um, August of 2016. I was looking to kind of broaden out what I was doing in terms of um, actually earning money. I mean, there's a, there's a longer story in there, but, um, but as one does, sometimes one needs a definite income. And, uh, and so I applied and they said, yes. And, uh, and I've been there almost seven years. Amazing. I started as a bookseller and now I'm the children's programming director. Fantastic. I, that's funny. I would not have put it there that long, but but uh, yes, thinking back, it it must have been. Yeah. So, Melissa, what about you? Well, um, I grew up just with books always around me. My mother is a teacher, a retired teacher, a recovering teacher, I guess you would say. And um, um, I also grew up um with a single parent and dirt poor. Mm-hmm. My um my poor father um was an addict. So books for me was story, being able to disappear into the stories. It was an escape and also a solve to me. Um, So I just always knew I wanted to do something with books. And I started writing when I was in high school, you know, just really horrible poetry, basically, as high school kids do, you know, a lot of angst. Um, I um, got a degree in history and English. So, you know, I was highly employable and I continued on right away into library science, which I, as soon as I started my classes in library science, I was like, yes, this is where I need to be. And um, I just loved writing for children and reading books for children. And 
And voila, you know, a gazillion years later, here I am still. Excellent. But you've also moved into publishing. Yes, uh, yes. In a way as well. Yes, it is definitely a labor of love with um, a um, concentration on labor. Uh, <laughs> I am... Um, one of the books that were, were such comfort to me um, when I was growing up was um, a series by Ruth Manning Sanders and illustrated by Robin Jakes. And they wrote um, book a book of mermaids, a book of giants, a book of witches. And I contacted both of their estates and got permission to print them. And so little by little, they're all coming out. Um, but it does, it's, it's, I'm a one man show. And so it does take time and, and um, a lot of brain power, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm almost always telling people that as soon as they start writing, they also need to start building up their writing community. Um, now we all met through the Houston chapter of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators known as SCBWI. Uh, and I can absolutely say that I would not have got my book deal and I would not have got to hear with a podcast, et cetera, if I hadn't learned so much and had such support from everyone I met through SCBWI in Houston and in Austin and nationally. So tell me about your experiences of SCBWI, but also the other communities that you rely on. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, SCBWI was where I found my inroad into um, what I refer to, I'm sure a lot of us do, is, you know, finding my people. Um, because writing is such a solitary activity that, uh, you know, you need to find those those like-minded people. You know, and a lot of it happened organically. Some of it happened because I was I was really sort of actively kind of keeping my feelers up for, you know, who who I, um, you know, who I liked, who seemed like a like-minded person, who was kind of on a similar journey. I mean, our journeys are different, but but they also obviously in Kid Lit are, you know, are somewhat similar. And, um, and you know, I can't exactly remember, you know, who I met first, et cetera, but I know Trisha Hoover, who writes as PJ Hoover in Austin, was someone that we just hit it off. And, um, you know, and through there, um, as well as through, uh, you know, Houston writers like Varsha Bajaj and uh, Chris Mandelsky and this wonderful lady here that I am on this podcast with. Um, we, you know, we we just kind of all ended up being together at conferences and working together. And, you know, from there came critique groups and, you know, everything else. It's, it's um, you know, I think it's part um, luck and it's part really searching out. And I knew that when I started publishing actually actively, when I got my first book deal, I really wanted to find a way to build that community even more. So then I reached out and for the longest time, and we still have, we still work together. Sometimes I, I created a group called the Yahoo's, you know, the uh, mm -hmm. YA Houston group. And we did events together a lot more extensively than I think we're doing them right now. But, you know, groups like that kind of come and go. Mm -hmm. And through Trisha, um, I, I joined a group that does retreats twice a year and, you know, and on and on and on. And so I hope that answers your question. Um, you know, you have to build community. You have to reach out and not just actively for, you know, oh, there will be people to come to my events, but because, 
you're part of this community of writers and they are your people. And so you want to be with them and you want to journey with them. And I think it's really important. Yeah. And Melissa, what about you? Well, um, as far as writing, um, yeah, SCBWI was, is and remains, you know, a huge part of um, how I learn and how I become a better writer. I became involved in it um, when we um, lived in Paris and um, I met a group of writers and illustrators there that are really still some of my very, very best friends. And um, in fact, Ergie is my agent. So, so um, I was super lucky to um, join then and also through, you know, just learn how to navigate the writing business as well. Um, how, you know, how to format your manuscripts, et cetera. Um, as far as um, my other groups, um, being a librarian is almost as solitary as being a writer because you're the one man show um, at your school. So it was really teachers um, who also were incredible book lovers that that were um, important to um, me when I was building my community as well. well I remain so. No, just one thing I do want to back up on is, is what Joy said about your your write, regular writing retreat. Now, there's something a little bit more and a bit quirky about your regular writing retreat, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we, we meet. There's about anywhere between 12 and 18 of us, um, mostly in Houston and Austin, but a few have come from Dallas area as well or San Antonio. We meet... Um, at a, like an old hunting lodge, essentially, that is um, sort of west of, of, of Giddings, um, basically out in LaGrange. And uh, we call it the Lodge of Death because it has the worst and, of course, the best, if you find it interesting, uh, the worst slash best uh, taxidermy in the entire world. There are dead stuffed animals of various sorts everywhere. And each time you go there, we've been doing this since 2012. And each time you go there, you see some new, you know, sort of mildly horrific thing. Um, but it has become a great community to me in, in addition to everything else. And, uh, you know, these are people that you can text at any moment. These are people who support you. Uh, some of those people became um a kind of life support group during the height of the pandemic. We started a little small subgroup of us um, started basically meeting on zoom one day a month or one day a week, excuse me, um, just to keep our sanity together and encourage each other to keep doing work, um, which we successfully did. And we are still meeting. So, you know, it is, um, it, it's one of the joys of my life. Yeah. Wonderful. It, I love waiting for the photos from the retreat to come out. Oh, yeah, because dead, dead tiny such deers. Taxidermy. Yeah, dead tiny deers in a boat, you know, a raccoon on top of the cabinet. Yeah, they're all yeah. dead. Dead, dead, dead. Wonderful. So, so far in this little school visits mini series, I've talked to a teacher turned middle grade author, Lisa Stringfellow, about what she learned from authors coming into her classroom that she then used when she went out into her into schools to do her own visits in this last year, which she debuted. And that's episode 22. 
And then I talked last week in episode 24 with Scott Rankin, who's a middle grade and YA author, who's incredibly scientific in how he plans out his school visit schedule to make sure that he maximizes both the number of kids he gets to see and also the income that he can make uh, in any day that he takes off from writing his next books. Um, so I'd love to talk to you two now about why you think author visits help you do your jobs um, and why they make a difference to the kids who may well be meeting their first ever real life author. So, Melissa, as a former teacher and school librarian and now a, a specialist working within the district, um, and you're dealing with a number of schools at a time, you know, how do you plan your author visits for the school and how do you decide who goes to which school and um, all that stuff? Tell us about it. Well, actually, um, there is really very little planning involved as far as like the year looking at it. Um, we are always just looking at, for um, opportunities to get um, authors and illustrators into our schools um, to just increase um, the children's love of literature and increase their literacy levels as well, get them interested in books. Um, it's, it's a challenge too. I mean, it's a, there's one, a good thing that really happened with the, um, with the pandemic was that so many authors went online and are now available online to do visits, which, um, makes it avail, make, makes it, gives an opportunity for our poorer schools of which we have so many, um, in Houston, to actually have authors and illustrators come and talk to the students. And and how much do you think is handled in, in the proportion of the total number of author visits? How much of the activity is handled district-wide by you and your team, uh, as opposed to individual schools being in touch with the authors themselves and paying for it themselves? Um, I would say probably 50-50. I really lean on Joy a lot in Brazos Bookstore. They are just our angels with um, HISD because they keep us um, notified about the authors that are coming. Um, a lot of times um, the authors in lieu of um, a per diem will say, please, you know, try to sell books at the school, which is a great thing because quite frankly, um, there is very, very little money school-wide to have authors come and visit if they're a public school these days. Um, there are a few schools in our district that that do have the PTO money that is available, but very, very few. I think that a great person, if you are an author interested, would to reach out to would be your, your publisher to help maybe sponsor. You can re reach out to me. Um, and as well to see if, you know, if there's, um, opportunities as well, but it is, uh, it's a, it's a 50, 50 thing. And so you mentioned, you know, both the publisher sponsoring it and the PTO mm -hmm. money as well. Is there a kind of standard, uh, deal that you would strike with an author in terms of them turning up for a set fee for a set number of schools or, that you would set, you know, you will sell X number of books across all the schools that they go to, or 
or is it do you often rely on the publishers you know them coming during a publication period where they're more likely to waive their fees because the publisher is is pushing them hard during that promotion period yeah me personally right now in the, as a district level i would rely on the publishers when i was on a campus level i would just try to figure out how much money I actually had and then try to piggyback with other schools to um, reduce the um, price of transportation and lodging because, uh, yeah, it's expensive to adequately adequately pay somebody because you want to pay them for their time. So the standard deal, it just really depends on the author, the illustrator themselves, what they are charging. I mean, there's some crazy figures that are out there that um, people actually can get. Um, and then there's other people that, you know, will go to a school just in order to, um, you know, sell more books or even just paying it forward. Yeah. And I, I think certainly the discussions I had with Scott last week is that there is, seems to be a general mindset is that where you might charge a full rate for a private school um, where you know, clearly the parents are are paying money for the experience. Mm-hmm. You can then subsidize the work that you do in the public schools in that area around it to make sure that all those other kids get access to you as well. Exactly. Yeah. And presumably it's also worth checking with the schools that you're approaching and with the school district that runs them, whether they're even allowed to sell books. Because I have heard stories of of because of the the inequities of income, mm-hmm. inequalities of income level, they actually won't let schools ask parents to buy books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, under- I understand that. Um, it's um, yeah, it's hard because you know you want to balance because you do want um, those are the kids that need the authors and the illustrators to come visit them the most but they're also the ones that aren't going to be able to buy and they don't want to have another pressure put on the parents as well. Yeah. And just what do you, from your experience, feel like the the best experience that it can have from an author? Is it that, that kind of big assembly conversation where they're having that inspirational talk about you know that you can have a career in mm-hmm. in publishing or you can be a kid who writes stories and then go on to write your own book or is it that one smaller group workshop model where they're actually being worked on a story or a poem with the author mm-hmm. in a small group mm-hmm. um i mean i think both are amazing amazing opportunities. I, I never had any of that when I was growing up. I don't remember an author ever coming to visit and I would have been the kid that would have remembered actually. Uh, I I don't either, by the way. I never, never. No, me neither. Me neither. Um, I think, um, Joy and Brazos bookstore do a great job in that. Um, even when it's a big, um, assembly, they take questions um, and so the author like will read out like, someone's name, the name of the person that asked the question, that something that's prepared before time. And that gives it also a, um, a, um, a more intimate feel, even when it's a big, um, it's a big assembly. It just, and it just really depends on um, the author or the illustrator's uh, presentation style. Yeah. And you I know. suppose the other thing that, that 
I know that getting questions put in advance and then name checking the questioner, what that also does is help the shire who would never dream of putting their hands up in a big setting or even a just a classroom setting yes. to ask a question of somebody they don't know or even the people they do know. Um, yes, yes. They get, still get the chance to put their question forward. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Joy, you're, of course, a successful YA author and a bookseller. So I'd love to hear from you really with both those hats on, but starting with the bookseller first, you know, from what Melissa said, Brazos has a very close relationship with the, the school districts, but presumably with some of the private schools as well. So how do author visits work at your end? And, and are they always organised through the publisher or or directly with the author sometimes? Um, we we do. We have a number of school partners. We have a number of districts that we're partners with, public school districts, as well as private and then some charter schools here or there. Some of that shifts over time, but basically we're kind of going back to the same people, but it's a, it's a fairly broad, you know, and Houston is so big. So, you know, we're talking about miles and miles and miles of, of, uh, of territory that we, you know, that we try to cover. Um, you know, you realize as I was listening to Melissa, we're really talking kind of about, about two different animals here, so to speak. Um, you know, you have the authors of which I, as you say, I'm one and have, definitely reached out to school visits in the past, you know, to schools in the past for, hey, here's my fee. Would you like me to come? Or, you know, they've reached out to me and I say, you know, hey, here's my fee. So if authors are uh, um, reaching out for school visits and arranging those on their own, then there's a fee involved. By and large, if a bookstore is arranging with the publisher, there's no fee. It is a free visit. But, um, you know, our goal is, you know, it's kind of, two, so that's two different things, but our goal is, is sort of twofold. Number one, again, as Melissa was saying, you know, we want to be um, bringing authors to as many schools as possible. We definitely want to focus on Title I and underserved schools, particularly underserved schools, because Again, as Melissa and I have talked about endlessly and, you know, other people who do her job in other districts, um, there's a lot of underserved schools. They have never had author visits and they tell us this all the time. But the cold hard reality of it is that we're also balancing a business because, you know, we have our business that we're supporting in the bookstore. And then the publishers obviously want to sell books. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the bottom line. They're typically sending out authors right near the pub date. And because they're right near the pub date, they want them to be on the New York Times bestseller list or otherwise show that, you know, they're selling books. So there's a lot to balance. I also strongly believe that um, I had a, a, (laughs) I had a, a, political science professor once at at Northwestern who said, and I'm sure it's not unique to him, but he's like, there's no such thing as a free lunch. He used to say this all the time. And um, and, and I, I believe that too. I think that things that come totally for free really are not valued as much as they need to be. And that goes for everything. So we do work with schools to set, um, you know, sales goals for them. And we're working with the publisher. Sometimes the publisher says, you know, you've got to sell 50 books or 100 books. And sometimes, especially since the pandemic, they're a little more giving. Um, You know, maybe that number is 20 or 25. And our goal is to find some gentle and helpful ways 
to make sure that between student purchases and library purchases and angel donor purchases, that we get that done for each school. And I really strongly believe that uh, schools partnering with that goal in mind is a good thing. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. And whether that's a poorer school or a wealthier school, and again, as Melissa hinted out at, um, you know, there, there's a wide diversity of, of what there is. I mean, I won't name the school name, but, you know, there's one school who just said, yeah, could you help us find an author for our, you know, our all school read along? And I said, well, yeah, you know, sure. Do you have, do you have a budget for this? Because this is something we're doing a little bit differently. And when they sent the budget, I was, you know, your eyes pop out of your head. You're like, oh, you know, there's a school. Get you five. <laughs> there's a few school just a few miles away that has zero budget. And you have, you have a PTA budget that is, is much, much, much exponentially larger. Um so we're balancing all of those things and we're bringing them though, amazing authors, illustrators, and um, you know, we're doing that in person and we're doing that virtually still depending upon the author. Not everybody is out traveling in person still. Yeah. Um, I know that, that some authors who do direct events, not just in schools, but other events as well, can contact you and and bookstore will actually send a, a team out with books to sell on the day. You know, we uh, do that. We do, some that events. we do that sometimes. Um, sometimes we just do it through like a book fair sort of situation, or we create a buy page for them because really what they want is a place for their parents to order books and they don't really need us. We don't tend to come out and staff an event, you know, if, if there aren't really book sales involved. I mean, we don't, we, we staff all our events for the ones we arrange. We don't always staff something where they're saying, hey, could you provide books? Yeah. Because just staff wise, we, you know, we we can't staff everything. So but actually it, being sales host almost through the website, et cetera, is, is a, an incredibly useful thing so that the author isn't lugging cartons of books. Cartons yeah, of books exa exactly. I mean, you know, dealing with sales tax or whatever. It can all be done online if that's if that's amenable to the school and then nobody actually has to do anything but receive books. Um, you know, so there's a lot of ways that 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 basically can happen. And we try to make it convenient. If it's an author that we're actually hosting for the publisher, then what we do is a lot more extensive. And again, as Melissa knows, I work with those librarians very extensively to make sure that they have every question answered, that they have a run of show. We're there on the day We're, you know, I'm sending little nudges like, hey, you know, I've only seen one book sale so far. What can we do? Um, and just making sure that they know if they've not hosted, they may not know things like, hey, a table. Hey, a bottle of water. Hey, put their name up on the marquee. Make a poster. Have a chair. Tell the front office that we're coming. You know, so we just I make a list and I just keep sort of gently going you know, nudging. And that is what I do. I'm a professional nag is, is what I am. Always in the, always in the best possible way. Jo Joy is amazingly patient with all of our uh, library employees, amazingly patient. Um, so just, uh, and she does, she, she gently nudges them. And sometimes, you know, I have to 
less gently nudge them. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, you know, like the the librarians and teachers on the ground in the school are really the people that can make or break a visit, no matter what you two do from outside the school. Mm-hmm. Um, really making sure that that if you're in the school and running an author event, you're on top of it, not just on the day, but but for several weeks ahead, building up buzz and and getting the kids excited uh, so that they don't stare at this strange person at the front of the room and, and have no clue who they are and why they're there. And the cold hard reality is that schools with professional librarians do better at all of these things than schools who don't have them. And unfortunately, a lot of schools don't have them. And that usually results in, you know, me and Melissa texting each other with me saying things like, why can't they all respond on the same thread? Why do they have to send separate emails for everything? Why won't they even tell me who they are? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sadly, I remember my own kids' middle school lost two amazing librarians while we were there. And then about a year later, they went, oh, hold on a minute. Maybe we did need them after all, and they, yeah, they well, reinstated they, one, but, you know. You know, just uh, to mention something we're not going to talk about today, if only to, you know, if only to respond to all of the pressure that books are under and all of the, you know, everything else that is happening in this world, you need a trained librarian. And so schools, yeah. you need trained librarians. Bring yeah. them back. I mean, you, you were saying we're not going to mention, we're, I think you're talking about ban- the conversation about banned books. And um, when I th- and that is a conversation we were going to have later in the year, I'm sure, when it comes to the very specific banned books week, because it is hugely important. And and some of the stories coming out of Florida at the moment, in particular, about what is happening within schools um, on the bookshelves are just emptied, while random non-librarian people take a decision as to whether they're allowed uh, to be given to the children. It's just it's crazy horrendous. pants. It's just mm-hmm. crazy pants. Mm-hmm. I would love to um, talk about um, banned books, but I'd have to have like one of those, um, you know, filters. filters on and you disguise oh, my voice. They, they disguise it's all like yes. wavy. Indeed. Indeed. So we will, yes. I promise we will come back to, to banned books, even if we have to put Melissa and you don't have to go black screen and change her you know, voice. You don't have to go as far as Florida to get your stories, but okay. Bingo. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Lovely. So we're going to take a quick break here and we will be back shortly to talk about what makes the best author visit, what makes the worst. If you're an author who'd like to start doing author visits to schools or do the ones you're already doing even better, whether that's because you want to increase your income or increase your book sales, then you need to make sure you listen to all three of my school visit episodes. We started in episode number 22 with debut author and teacher Lisa Stringfellow. And in episode 24, I had a long conversation about how he puts his school visits together with YA and middle grade author Scott Rankin. And to help you as you start to plan your school visits for the 2023-24 academic year, Scott Rankin and I have created a great tip sheet for you called School Visits 101, an author's guide to doing great school visits which you can download and use as you put together your own visits. Now, the link to get that guide is in the show notes, or you can get it by clicking on the nice blue button on the homepage of my website, carolineleachwrites.com. 
Once you've told me where you'd like me to send it, the download link will arrive almost immediately in your inbox. Scott and I are also working out the details to do a live webinar together for you quite soon, in which we'll delve even deeper into the art and science of school visits. So if you want to sign up for the School Visits 101 guide, we'll make sure we also send you all the registration details for that webinar once we have them. School visits are a great way to increase your income, increase your visibility and increase your book sales. But unless you do them right, they can be exhausting, time-consuming, actually could cost you money. So download our tip sheet and please join us for our webinar once we announce the details of that, just to make sure that you not only reach the readers that you have written your books for in the first place, but also you can make a decent amount of income from it as well, which, after all, may give you the financial stability to write more books. So welcome back. And I would love to now know if you two had a shopping list or you had to write a shopping list of all the things that the best author visit would include, what would be on it? So what, first of all, what can the author do to make brilliant school visit happen, both for you as the organisers and for the, the school and for the booksellers and also for the kids? Melissa, let's start with you. Well, I mean, if I had like a dream list of, you know, no holds barred, um, I would definitely have the um, author make contact with the point person at at the school. Um, I would have the author send a copy of their book um, because you would be amazed at how how slow it can take for the librarian or the teacher, whoever's coordinated to actually get that in their hands if they don't just pay for it personally. Um, and also I would have the author maybe send, send some, some sort of um, promotional materials, either bookmarks, flyers, that sort of thing that the um, point person at their school doesn't have to format or do. They can just pass out. Anything that the the author can do to reduce the dependence on the person at the school is is going to be beneficial to them, to the author, and it's going to make the event um, run smoothly and be more successful. Yeah. Sure. Um, Joy, what about when during the event itself, what can the author do to to really make it brilliant? I always like to, when I do my own little workshops and things for authors, particularly as, you know, as author slash bookseller joy or whatever my incarnation is at the moment, I always say that there's, uh, there's essentially just two, I mean, well, I'm going to give you a longer list, but there's essentially just two things for any kind of, of, of public speaking is one, don't be boring. And, and two, don't be a jerk. You know, I, I, sometimes I use another word, but, but um, you know, that's, that really kind of sums it up, but let's be a little more specific because that's, that's obviously kind of broad. Um, you would, by the way, be surprised at how many people cannot necessarily always achieve, you know, both of those, both of, both of those goals. Um, in terms of successful school visits, uh, you know, you need to know your audience. You need to be interactive. 
I do think PowerPoints or some kind of other visual definitely helps. You need to think about what's interesting to that audience. If you're going to a, you know, an elementary school, it may not be the mo- the best, most interesting thing to talk about the author journey and publication and your agent. It's not interesting to them. It has very little to do with them. And authors do it all the time. If you really hate public speaking and you really don't like being with people, um, as some people somehow, you know, do, school visits may not be your thing. You may you may not be well suited for school visits. You may be better suited for conferences and panels and other things. Um, you know, the more interactive a presentation is, the more excited you are to ask for questions, you know, the better off you are. If you are afraid of children, again, a school visit may not be the best thing. We had an author somewhat recently, not that recently, but let's say it was last, you know, it was last year at some point, who didn't want to do QA and gave a talk for about 10 minutes and then was starting to walk off, you know, the stage or the, you know, where she was speaking and so there I was, you know, kind of racing up and, and hissing, question and answer, question and answer. You know, they don't, they want to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really into that, a school visit may not be the best thing for you. Um, illustrators tend to do very well because they're showing something and it's always interesting. That was, there were some of the best ones that we did virtually because, there was also something really specific to look at. Presentations that, you know, have kind of quick moving slides that show pictures and per, a little bit of personal stuff are really good. Alana K. Arnold, we hosted just the other day, and she um, did something that really kind of brought her book to life because her character in, um, in the, um, the Harriet books has a little trouble with the truth. And so she set up the beginning of her presentation with the game of two truths and a lie. So she had it up on her PowerPoint and she was asking them predictive questions about the book, which some had read and some had not, but they all want to play that. And then she led it into stories about her life and stories about the character and talked about the story. And then she talked about mysteries and it was very, very focused on something that was kid friendly, it was age appropriate. And she didn't really talk about, you know, and then, you know, two years later, I was still, um, you know, apply, I was still pitching to agents, kids don't want to hear that. And authors tend to default to that a lot. Hmm? Yeah, Tay Keller, who was a Newbury winner, who I interviewed um, early on in this series, uh, she gave an amazing presentation for exactly that. And she shared pictures of herself at, around the age of the kids yes. in the audience yeah. and told funny stories about her sister. And mm-hmm. and it just made her incredibly um, relatable for the kids in the audience because she suddenly wasn't this grown adult right. um, we, lecturing we, them. She was one of them. And it we're worked, the cool brains partner for Imprint. And so, you know, I... Mm-hmm seen her presentation. Unfortunately, then she did not get to do her, her school visits. I, this was like, we found this out. She was doing school visits on Monday on Sunday evening. I got an email that said 
Oh yeah. The Astros have won the world series. So there's going to be a parade in no school. So she, and and I benefited from the the Astros having that parade because Mm -hmm. while they were having the parade, I was actually interviewing Tay because suddenly she had time to sit down with me and do the interview for the podcast because there were no schools to visit that day. If Uh, you want to watch a publicist have like total apoplexy, You know, because you're now texting them at eight o'clock on a Sunday night with, let me tell you what just happened. And, and then I was, I texting you too, Melissa was I like, yeah, I think we were, we were texting or emailing because we were trying to, we're trying to get a hold of the school representative. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, you can certainly hear the uh, interview I did with, with Tay Keller back in episode eight, where we we actually have quite a laugh about the fact that somewhere nearby there is a, a massive parade going on, and uh, and I just lucked out on that day. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. delightful. She's delightful, and hers is an example of a great presentation. So, yeah. I mean, by and large, presentations are good. They're exciting. Some people are afraid, though. I mean, I've had situations virtually where I've had to, like, suddenly, you know actually turn my mic on and come back onto the screen, which I absolutely a hundred percent, that's not my job. I'm not wanting to do it, but they're struggling. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like messaging them. Would you like me to ask you some, you know, some questions like, yes, okay, here I am. And, and so again, if you don't love school visits, um, you know, maybe there are other things you should do, but most authors do a great job. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's certainly something that that um, I talk about when I'm talking about book launches and and coaching people is the different ways you can do a book launch. If you don't like speaking just yourself, you can have somebody else interview. You do it all the time in in the bookstore, don't you, Joy? Where you either interview somebody yourself or you invite another author we, to we do, do the interview as a way of a conversation rather than a presentation. Yeah. And maybe it's less often happens in schools, but but it's certainly an option for either having two authors share the conversation or or ask a teacher or a librarian to to do the And again, just to be the just to be the contrarian here, I strongly believe that if you've written a book, you should be able to talk about it. And you don't necessarily have to need the crutch of somebody else to ask you those questions. And if you can't, then you need to actually work and figure out how. Um, Absolutely. And that is exactly why I set up authors and audiences and the coaching courses that I do is because I believe it absolutely as well. And because you when you become a published author, you become a professional presenter about your book, even if you're racked with nerves off stage, once you get on stage, you have a persona that you have to put across. And you and that's the thing to learn. You know, you, you, there are ways of developing that to make sure you're prepared ahead of time, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Can I add on to no, um, what do. Joy was talking about, the presentations? I cannot say strongly enough that the author journey, would, while it is very interesting for your writer friends to hear about mm-hmm. and about how long it took you to get an agent and how long it took you to get published, um, elementary school kids especially don't care. They have no patience for that. And so really they want to hear a story. They want to hear your story. They yeah. want to um, be entertained. And it needs to be quick and it needs to be fun. You need to be funny. Um, I love um, I love picture book um, authors, especially ones that have the call and response 
those were always really, really big audience pleasers. Cause man, it's, it's hard if you're in, you know, the cafeteria and all the kids are sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce and, uh, they, they're squirmy and they're sitting next to their friends and they need to be really engaged with you. Which is, it, it's a scary thing if you're used, not used to it or you're used to reading to, you know, your two children or your two grandchildren and suddenly you're faced with 200 of them. Um, oh, yes. But, it's a, but that's it's part t- of the deal, tough. isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Child, kids are a tough audience. Excellent. Here, here, so, here Graf, um, who I love, who has a number of series, uh, middle grades, including one called The Phantom Tower. When I took him on school visits a few years ago, he did a thing where he kept the clicker like like in his pocket for a bit. And he was talking to them about, you know, the the, the ghost that was supposedly in the house and at, at, in the building, et cetera. And then he would do, he'd be facing them and he'd click something. And then he had a, you know, like a slide up that said, ha ha ha, Kier, I've taken over your screen, you know. Oh, and awesome. so then the kids are hysterical and then he clicked, he turns around while clicking again. And he's like, I don't know, look, it looks normal. And, and you know, he has that immediately. It was a performance that, really, wasn't yeah. it? He yeah. could also juggle. So there was that, but anyway. <laughs> well, that helps, that helps, doesn't it? Excellent. And so second, what can the schools do to make sure that the authors, I mean, other than making sure the projector works and the chair, et cetera, is there something particular that an author can, I'm assuming that I'm I'm mostly talking to authors here, what can an author request of the school that will really make, set them up for success? The author can request all sorts of things, but you have to, as an author, understand that when you go in there, you have no idea what's going to happen. Our family motto is, um, if you're not happy, lower your expectations. So seriously, um, schools right now are so understaffed that you might walk in and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot you're coming today. Um, You can't be in this room because we're doing testing and -and so-and-so is absent and you end up in a temporary building, you know, with a different grade than you even thought you were going to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just have to be able to roll with it yeah. and, stay gracious, and stay gracious and um, understand that uh, it is um, crazy pants working in a school these days. And, you yeah. know, you're there but, for the kids. But it's like I just said, the more you prepare and the more you're ready, mm-hmm. the easier going with the flow will be. Because if you've never done your presentation before and it's just written on the back of a couple of index cards and you're suddenly faced with a major change when you get there, not because of anybody's fault, then you're going to be much better about rolling with it. You know, the whole plan B, if the tech doesn't work, you still have to be able to present something, even if it's not all, you know, bangs and whistles. Um, and, And a lot of that is about preparing and rehearsing yourself ahead of time so that you actually can just... It becomes muscle memory and, you know, second nature. I totally agree. Okay, so what was the best school visit? I mean, you've given us so many good stories, so I don't want you to repeat yourself, but who did the best school visit? Actually, name names. I, you know, I looked at that question when you when you 
gave it to us when I'm, I'm looking at it right now, in fact, and I was like, I don't necessarily want to answer that because I think, I think it sets up a false level of competition. Um, you know, my school visits might not be your school visits and my, they're great in some other way. Um, so, you know, funny guys who draw pictures tend to do really great school visits because they're amusing and they draw and they draw great pictures, but that doesn't mean that that is necessarily, um, and you can fill in the blanks as to who they are. They're very famous. All of them, they all write graphic novels. Everybody wants, um, you know, them to do their school visits. I'm looking at you, Max Brelier and, you know, other people. I mean, that's, that's fine. Nick Bruel with the bad kitty mm-hmm. books, you know, they do great school visits. However, they're not the only ones who do great school visits and, and everybody can do a Well, hopefully everybody can do a great school visit. If you think about your audience and you really hone why you want to do this. And that's my answer. So although I named a couple names, I'm naming them only to say, just because I can name them. Um, they are not the majority of people who are out there. And I could go into a whole discussion about how um, librarians need to be excited about all the women authors who visit as well. Melissa just gave me a thumbs up um, because that's a whole other conversation that we can have when we talk about about all the difficult topics that we're not talking about today. Okay, so are there authors... You may come back with the same question, the same answer, Joy. So I'm going to give it to Melissa instead. Is there an author on your bucket list for actually? And here we go. Let's change that. Given that you may just give us the same non-definite answer, is there an author you wish you had been able to invite on a school visit? Somebody who's now not able to do a school visit, or why um, do you think they would have brought something special? I'm trying to think of, I'm still, I'm on like, I will name names as far as my favorite people. I don't think Ooh, they're, cool they're not touring any, anymore. Um, well, um, Bruce Coville, but and I look and I'm thinking about these people and because they're all amazing story, storytellers, oral mm-hmm. story, storytellers, Bruce Coville, um, was able to, um, really, um, enthrall a group of um esl kids i mean he was just an amazing when uh, this is when um, i was in paris he came to see us um uh, jack gantos another he's an amazing um you know um oral storyteller and um i saw one time alexis o'neill um at a school in klein and she's she wrote um Mean Jean, the the recess queen, Mm -hmm. and it was about bullying. And there's a really great, it's a picture book, really great um, call and response. And she went into a school. They had, they had, they didn't have the book. It was like a last minute thing. Um, She had an entire cafeteria. I mean, there, there. I think the entire school was there. So we're we're talking hundreds and hundreds of kids eating out of her hand. I mean, it was amazing, but it was because she was telling a story, right? That that's, that that's really the real skill that I think that um, authors really need to be able to 
tell a story and just draw their audiences in just like they do on the page, but they have to do it in front of, you know, people who might not be interested at all to be even be there. So Mm -hmm. is there an author you wish that you could have seen as a child to do an author visit or you could have met or that you would love, you would have loved to take them into a school day? I really loved Robin McKinley's work. But I don't know how she would be as an author. I have to say, um, um, Richard Peck was one of my favorite authors as a child. And um, later in life, I actually had the thrill of um, becoming his friend. And that meant the world to me. So I can imagine if I had been able as a child to have to meet him, that would have been wonderful. But, um, you know, I'm I'm. I don't have any like author dream team lists, really. Um, if you can tell me a good story and you can engage me like those people that I mentioned before, that's mm-hmm. that's it. I would love yeah. to, you know, host you. Yeah. I, con- you I concur. I concur. Um, honestly, Excellent. I concur Excellent. completely. From a bookseller's point of view, I want an author who is, um, regardless of who they are, I want someone who is indeed a storyteller who is wildly interesting um, and who is also gracious and grateful. Bingo. And, yes. And, and that is, if you are, if you lack in humility, um, I, I'm less fond of, of working with you. And yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And is there, Oh, and again, I, without, go on. can I say something real quick on that too? Um, I don't, I want to mention how much work, the school person has to go into to have to coordinate and organize an author's visit. Um, when I was on camp, a campus level um, person, I would at the very most have two author visits a year. And that's all I could organize. It is just another thing on this huge pile of work that they have that's impossible to get through anyway. So, um, about being gracious and being kind, please realize that they are doing you a favor, having you and inviting you because you are making more work for them. Um, Is it great? Is it a huge, amazing opportunity for our students? Yes. But please understand that they are there. um, When you go to an, into a school, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I think I actually said this in last week's episode as well, but just saying thank you after the fact, you know, going back and saying thank you to all the organisers, whether district level, bookstore level, or, or actually in the school. And also, if if a librarian or a teacher has really looked after you and, and, and done a great job, making sure the principal knows about it. Or if the principal has been amazing, make sure the school district knows about it. Mm-hmm. Because actually, this is the kind of stuff that gets hidden within the chaos that is a general school year and actually just flagging somebody's extra effort or really good organization or helpfulness or kindness, whatever it is, to the people that make decisions about them and their budget is hugely important. Oh, it's huge, especially right now with libraries and librarians being um, in the line of fire, basically, um, our principals really need to understand what a benefit it is to have one in the mm-hmm. library because um, there's a lot of principals who've never had a librarian in their library in Houston. Unfortunately, we're trying to change that, but 
it's it's really um, a thank you note and a positive comment um, goes a, a long, long way. We, I, I agree completely. I mean, I talk about that word thank you a lot when I do presentations and similar topics, and um, and you'd be surprised how often people don't say thank you. And I try to thank everybody as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I say, graciousness goes a long way. And, um, you know, we see it on the adult side, as well as the kids side that occasionally, you know, we wish there were authors who could be reminded that, you know, the world really owes you nothing. And, um, and you just owe the world. So says Mark Twain, you owe the world your best work. And, and you better, and you better think about that. So fantastic. Yeah. So just to, to, as we're wrapping up, that was all absolutely amazing. And I cannot thank you both enough for, for sharing all that wisdom, because I'm sure it's going to be a huge help to, to people heading out into the, the school world with their books. Um, so let's just do a quick, little quick fire Q&As. So each of you, let's, let's do Joy first and then Melissa, just for, for ease. So do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert and why? I'm a total introvert personally who has to be a professional extrovert. So I taught for many years. You can't be an introvert and actually teach or, you know, present stuff. So introvert who masquerades as an extrovert. Lisa? Same. Exactly the same. As long as I have a role, um, my introvert self can uh, act like an extrovert, but uh you put me in a cocktail party and make just small talk and. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, we all said that we don't remember having any author visits to our schools as we were growing up. So what's your very first memory of meeting an author in real life then? You know, I saw that question and I was like, I have no, I have no memory of that. I don't know. I do remember that right before my first book was published. So this would have been, you know, somewhere in the spring of 2009. Um, I I got to talk individually to John Green. And that was like, truly, truly exciting. And, and then I think at another, maybe it was the same conference, I don't know, it was another conference where Judy Bloom got out of an elevator you know, oh. next to me and, and, or onto the elevator next to me. And that was, I, I was completely tongue tied with that. That was just like, you know, the, the funny thing is joy. I can absolutely remember fear. I felt when I first took courage to talk to you, my <laughs> first SCBWI conference. And well, I had just, I just bought, I can't even remember. It must've been 2010 or 11. And I just bought your book from, I can't even remember which book it was. Um, one with the cowboy boots on the front. Oh, Sweet Dead Life, yeah. Sweet Dead Life, that was it. And I had just bought it from the bookstore and I was you were going to be doing some signing and you happened to be standing next to me, I don't know, at the coffee machine or something. And I went, dare I talk to her? And I did. And you were so lovely, obviously. And uh, you can't really talk to an author. I was like, for goodness sake, you're here because you're trying to be an author. But, you know, I just, I can remember that. Very See, what I'm book. thinking is, oh, sweet dead life. The book I love the most in this world that no one knew how to sell. But okay, oh, you know. It, it you is think? wonderful. But, yeah. Yeah. Melissa? Everyone I should. Love, I know. I love that book, too. I love it. Um, I can't remember the first person I met that was an author. Um, I have to go back to the, 
to um, meeting Richard Peck. Um, it was in 2002, um, which I, the only reason I remember the years because um, I just had um, my daughter and um, I was organizing SBWI conference in Paris and I'd never organized a conference before. And I was, um, he was, he was, I was starstruck, but yet he was so amazing to me and to my little family that, uh, it was, it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. And, uh, graciousness, graciousness goes, oh, be gracious. He was, he's so gracious, so gracious. This, um, Richard was, and, uh, you know, so I love sharing recommendations. What's the very best book each of you have read recently? I know that's showing favorites, but tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin is a is a dream. I love that book a lot. She's the one who wrote the storied life of AJ Fickery and a number of other ones. Um, but there's something really special about that, and I've read that recently. I love that author. She's great. Mm-hmm. That that one book that she wrote about um, growing younger. I can't remember the title of it. Anyway, anywho, mm-hmm. but I just read um, Thinking 101. It's oh, a nonfiction yeah. mm-hmm. um, by um, um, On is, is, um, is her last name. It's just a general book um, about um, cognitive fallacies that we have. And it's written in a very um, approachable way. I really enjoyed it. And I just keep on going back to it. So here I would normally ask my guests about their favourite indie bookstore, but given that we're actually talking to Brazos Bookstore in the flesh right now, we're not going to do that. I would love to you to tell me about your favourite indie bookstore somewhere in the world on your travels, because I know you both love travelling. Well, at this moment, I get to say that one of my favourite indie bookstores, strange and quirky as it may be, is Shakespeare and Company Books, which I just got to see in Paris Mm -hmm. um, and it was lovely and you have to actually stand in line because it's so small and wait to get in and make sure you go upstairs um, and and wander around and buy a book and that is what I have to say. And I wondered if you might say Shakespeare and Company as well Melissa given that you used to live in Paris. Um, No but I do have another um, Parisian bookstore and I forgot to tell you to go visit this one Joy actually. It's called um, The Red Wheelbarrow Ooh. And um, Penelope Fletcher um, is the owner of it. Um, and she started, I think it was in 2000, it opened. And she was a, she's a huge supporter of SCBWI over there, actually. Um, and she just opened down the, the block, um, the Red Balloon, which is a children's bookstore, English, lang- mm-hmm. English language and also French. That was um, a French it, film too. The the yes. ballon, ballon. Yes, and the red wheelbarrow is you know from the poem. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, everything depends on the red wheelbarrow and it's the rain. Is it William yeah. Carlos Williams? William Carlos Williams. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so that's that's one of my favorite indie bookstores overseas Excellent. for sure. So when you're next going to Paris, there are three fantastic recommendations you for you. So absolutely, finally, um, where can we find you both online? 
Um, I am at Joy Preble on Instagram and and uh, Twitter when I'm on there. I am at www.joypreble.com. Um, it's a fairly static website at this point, but you'll get to see the new book announced eventually once that mm-hmm. happens. And um, getting ready to blog somewhere finally again after a long hiatus, but I'm not sure where. So that's it for me. And of course, rosasbookstore.com as well. And and you can find me, well, you can't find me necessarily sitting on the website, but you can see all my book recommendations at brazosbookstore.com. Indeed. Yeah. And I'm around um, just as Melissa Buron. And then my uh, publishing um, company is mabmedia.net. And um, we have a book of princes and princesses that is coming out very soon. And so, uh, So, yes. So look me up. Wonderful. Well, thank you both. This has been such fun. Um, Just you're such good friends, but actually it's also been really fascinating to see the inside view of school visits from booksellers and school districts. So thank you so much. And uh, I will see you very soon. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Weren't they brilliant? That was so much fun. Enormous thanks again to Melissa and to Joy for sharing so much wisdom with us on this episode 25 of Authors and Audiences. And in case you're coming to this episode first, you can find the other two instalments of the School Visit series on the Authors and Audiences website or on your podcast provider, whichever one you're choosing. Last time, Scott Rankin, a YA middle grade author, joined me for episode 24. And the debut middle grade author and teacher, Lisa Stringfellow, joined me for episode 22. And please don't forget to go to my website, carolineleachwrites.com, and that's Leach with two E's, to get your copy of the free guide to author visits, which Scott and I have put together, especially for the authors and audiences audience. There's a bright blue button on the homepage, which will help you get hold of it. And just to tip you off about something very special, Scott and I are planning to get together soon to present a joint webinar about all things school visits. So to make sure you don't miss out on the chance to sign up for that, keep listening to authors and audiences. In fact, you can subscribe on your podcast provider. And also you can sign up for my newsletter at the website where you find that blue button. There's also a pop up which will let you sign up for the newsletter too. And that will make sure you've got all the information in good time to secure one of the limited places. And if you're planning to do any author events or interviews, remember, go and listen to all my previous episodes. There's so much fun and wisdom to be shared in there. And drop me a line to tell me what resonated with you and whether anything came up that you'd like me to answer in another episode. All the books we mentioned today are listed down below in the show notes and are linked to where you can buy them from Brazos Bookstore via bookshop.org, a site which not only supports this podcast through an affiliate link, but also supports independent bookstores all over the country. So please, even if it costs you a couple of extra dollars, more than other, shall we say, cut price suppliers, and you know who I mean, if you're going to go and buy online, please buy it there or from your local indie bookstore's website. Even better, go into the store and say hi to all the wonderful indie booksellers who work there. And thanks again to Melissa and Joy, and thanks to you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of Authors and Audiences, which will sadly be the final episode of season one, 
And on it, I'll be sharing something a little bit different with you. <laughs>